Hello and welcome to the special podcast of ideas with your host, David Bowden. The Roads Must Fall campaign has been generating international headlines in recent months, with protests aimed at removing statues of the 19th century industrialist Cecil Rhodes from university campuses in both Cape Town, South Africa, and Oxford in the UK. In response to the campaign, Oxford University authorities have refused to buckle to demands, with Oxford Chancellor Chris Patton comparing Rhodes Must Fall campaigners to Chinese state censors, declaring in the Times... They argue that history should be rewritten to expunge the names, though not the endowments, of those who failed to pass today's tests of political correctness. Thomas Jefferson and Cecil Rhodes, among others, have been targeted. And how would Churchill and Washington fare if the same tests were applied to them? The campaigners and their supporters argue that they are simply exercising their right to protest, and that the existence of such statues are themselves an an example of offensive speech condoning the actions of colonial exploitation and imperialism. Critics argue that Rhodes Must Fall is itself part of a censorious attitude on university campuses. Is Rhodes Must Fall fundamentally a free speech issue? And if so, which side should free expression supporters side with? In this special podcast, we brought together Claire Fox, Director of the Institute of Ideas, and Ian Dunt, Editor-in-Chief of the website politics.co.uk, to offer their thoughts, having argued about this at some length over Twitter. So, Ian, what what do you think of the Roads Must Fall campaign? I have mixed feelings about it, really. I mean, there's plenty of, beyond the Roads Must Fall, specifically about the statue, they put out about seven sort of points, um, most of which are nonsense, some of which have some validity, um, and some of which I, I would agree entirely with. One of the ones I have no problem with at all is this idea that they want to remove a statue. I don't think that our lived environment has to be frozen at all moments, that there's nothing we can remove at any given time. I was entirely unoffended when a variety of cities took down statues or plaques to do with Jimmy Savile, for instance, after he was found. I mean, that seems to me completely very, very easy for me to accept. And I would mostly look at this issue in the same way. I'm a bit befuddled really by why so many of my usual allies for free speech see this as a free speech issue I just don't see that element in there at all yeah well it's important to note that I have got no principled position on statues one way or another Um, but I think it is actually the context in which the debate around roads must fall and the demand for this statue and its ilk to be removed that brings it into the free speech argument for me because actually The students who have argued for the removal of the statues in this instance betray all of the similar trends that we see on campus over a range of other things, which is this seems to be driven by their idea that the statue itself causes violence to them and is offensive, which, as it's an animate object, seems ridiculous and fits into the kind of, um, I find that offensive, remove it, please, uh, sort of way of thinking about the world. I think also it's driven as much by identity politics as anything else. And all of the discussion, actually increasingly in South Africa, but certainly in the UK, is very much we demand as a particular identity that this happens. And if you don't go along with it, then you're a racist and so on and so forth. You're oppressing me. So I think that's uh, one of the dangerous aspects of it. And also in all of the debates about this, There doesn't appear to me to be any kind of progressive attempt to have a debate or a discussion. It's a demand that you have to fulfil or else. It's a kind of listen to my demands and do what I say rather than opening up an interesting discussion about history, for example. 
Yeah, Ian, do you think that there's something different about this campaign, given that it seems to suggest that the statue itself is, is harmful, that the speech itself is, is harmful to these students, that kind of moves it beyond a, a campaign to say, actually, we just don't want this statue here, to sort of say, actually, this is, this is hurtful speech, it must be stopped and taken away? Well, I mean, that's true, and Claire is right to put it in the position of the Safe Spaces movement. It is that movement which spent an awful lot of time criticising, and it absolutely takes on this idea of that words and images are a form of violence in and of themselves. That is something that it does. So the question for us then is, do we, this thing about taking it in context, I think is where the crux of our disagreement is going to be. Because it says, do we then see this movement that we don't agree with, that we don't agree with its terms and its aims? And do we say, right, well, we're going to stand up against everything that you're requiring for? Or do we instead go, well, actually, here is something you were saying that is not necessarily a problem for us, that you want to have a debate about. And actually, I think they are debating. I mean, they do seem to want to debate. Certainly, it was actually Oriel College which cut short the, the process by which there was supposed to be a debate um, and say, well, actually, you know, this is something that we can work with you on, where we can show people our way works, that free speech and debate and protest and these really vigorous expressions of democratic free debate, those ways do work to secure the change that we want. Or do we just put up the drawbridge and say, no, 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 we're not dealing with this because you lot, you are sort of ideological enemies. Yeah, I mean, that seems clear that it's perfectly legitimate at a university that they're having these big debates about how you deal with historical memories and to sort of say, well, actually, maybe we can continue to have Rhodes's endowments and, and celebrate the fact that he he gives these scholarships to students but actually we don't want his statues plastered all over the university that that sets a, a tone and a standard um, that actually we we would rather not deal with in the 21st century well I think there's a number of things to untangle I mean I, I think that first of all I don't think there was a debate that Oriel College backed down from I think that what happened was is that Oriel College broadly speaking were in a complete panic after the original demands they actually conceded to huge numbers of them and then they inevitably launched a listening consultation which is not the same as a debate by the way I was rather glad that never happened and it wouldn't have led to a debate and then what happened was they then said we're not having that consultation anymore because the donors threatened to pull that annoyed the students and I understand that but they should never have been indulging in a listening consultation anyway because I don't because I don't because I have no interest in a university that because some students object to something just simply says yes I don't think there's anything wrong with the statue that's the thing and as was indicated there was no uh, there's no mass movement for the removal of the statue and why do you have to remove the statue that's I suppose where we're getting to in the scheme of things because this is Oxford to find that statue you'd have to search and in fact subsequent to that statue being found you know Cambridge in a fit of kind of uh, competitive we want our own version have found uh, Benin Cockrell which they want removing which of course the college authorities have immediately given into everyone's on the search for statues so what I'm saying is they've the ones who have fetishized the statue I think that, therefore, saying that we're going to use the discussion around this statue to have a debate is not what actually happened. But I, but I also think that this is quite important as well, that, that in South Africa and the South African universities, you'd think, well, there might be a bit more reason to say having these statues really is ridiculous, right? These are kind of the architects of apartheid and you're in South Africa uh, where apartheid has only recently in living memory uh, existed 
But actually, the debate in South Africa has become incredibly disturbing for me because it's actually taken on all of the worst aspects of the US and British safe space uh, discussions. And everything has become symbolic and uh, dominated by uh, racial politics. So to just use the example, the, the fact that in order to fight housing disputes in the university, they erected something called Shackville, um, which kind of became this symbol of their protest. The fact that then when Shackville, uh, and there was a dispute over that, whether it was pulled down or not, led to the students then going and burning the uh, portraits and the photographs of previous uh, people who had uh, worked at the college, uh, would indicate there's something pretty nasty is going on in terms of the fetishization of artefacts and then increasingly what I consider to be most dangerous, a kind of real black-on-white argument that's going on in South Africa, which maybe we can develop when we talk about it. So I don't want to fetishise the, uh, the, the the statue, but I just think that's what the students have done at the expense of politics. I would just that the disparity, actually, between the South African experience and the British one shows the British Roads Must Fall campaign in a pretty good light. And that, that statue, I mean, it had a more prominent place in the campus in South Africa, but nevertheless had... Uh, fruit thrown at it. I think there was even shit thrown at it. All sorts of stuff. There was basic vandalism against it. No one has done that in Oriel College at all. In fact, the, the methods that have been used are protest and debate. I mean, it has been that. And the idea of a listening exercise, to me, does not seem a problem, simply because... Say, so, you know, it's only 150 people who are against it. And my guess is they're going to lose the listening exercise because as it seems a majority of students in Oriel College were for keeping it. It seemed that the ethnic minority students within Oriel College were split right down the middle. That seemed like an interesting debate for people to have. It seemed like one that was probably going to end up with the statue staying anyway. The worst possible thing we can do to people who have done no vandalism, who have expressed their commitment to free debate, is suddenly to go, well, our donors are scared and really, really sort of vindicate these ideas that you you get in the safe space movement that free speech is just the weapon that privileged white middle classes use to shut up marginalized voices and that's how it looks i mean even i would be sympathetic with how they're feeling there when Patton says they're like china you just think well that is just the most preposterous nonsense comparison for him to have drawn but I, so I, I feel like we've vindicated them rather than disproved um i i i definitely will uh, concede that they will feel vindicated but there is a tendency and has been a tendency from the beginning for them to play the victim So I just want to get a sense of perspective. These are highly privileged Oxford students Mm. who are looking for, it seems to me, a victim card to play. And the argument that they use is is that they are personally hurt by a statue of Rhodes and that somehow this relates to the treatment historically of black Africans because of they feel the same hurt as those Africans felt, which I think is insulting to anyone who lived through the kind of genocides and, you know, viciousness of the policies meted out by imperialism in the past. They are not hurt in the same way at all. And I think that there is a desperate attempt in uh, identity politics and in today's climate for people to need to accrue victim points. And I sadly believe that this has become part of what the Oxford students, the Cambridge students and students in general, I don't want to only say it's this, um, and that's why I think it fits in with the safe space thing, which is to try and out-victimise each other and to find ways. And I, what I'm suggesting to you is, is that there are real examples of real racism in the real world and that this actually makes a mockery of those very things 
because it reduces uh, racism to hurt feelings and hurt feelings by a statue in this instance of people who are at one of the best universities in the world. I don't particularly disagree with any of that. It has to be said. I think there's a slight wrinkle of complication in their motives. I mean, an awful lot of that safe spaces stuff is in there. However, what's also in there's a sort of Edwards Oriental, you know, the sort of colonialism of the humanities, and then the way that you know this is all brought on by the way that white privileged societies look at the societies they formerly colonized. So there is another element there, which, as it happens, I also happen to disagree with. However, their arguments are not just around those issues. Some of their others are about saying, well, we would like to have blinded application forms, for instance. That seems to me a very acceptable proposition. I mean, it's exactly the same one that was put forward by the Tory prime minister at his party conference, in that case to do with gender. But I think given his attacks on Oxford and the actually quite troubling rates at which it takes white students over black students with precisely the same grades, one that he would probably accept in this measure as well. And that just does not seem that much of a problem for me. Where their issues are is, I mean, in relation to Oxford, which they still see as a sort of colonial front, I mean, I wouldn't accept that language. And I think there is a simplicity to seeing it as a racist institution. Really, it seems rather more sort of, I think, convincing to suggest that actually one of the reasons that black and ethnic minority students struggle to get into Oxford more is because they're less prepared for the interview situation. They're often more put off for it. When you come from a state education, it can be harder. But nevertheless, they're trying to start a conversation where I suspect that it's partly wrong, where there is some validity, for instance, on issues like that, and some where I think there is no validity, for instance, on the sort of safe space combination of violence and offence at the same time. But if we just whittle it down to that one element that we don't like and attack them with all guns blazing, I don't see how we win any converts to the idea that free speech is this value that must be upheld before all others and above all others. In fact, I think we just sort of alienate them and sort of make us seem like we're enemies of identity politics rather than enemies of censorship itself. Um, well, I am an enemy of identity politics, so I don't, <laughs> I don't mind if people take me as that because I think it's one of the most pernicious and dangerous trends of contemporary politics um, to date and actually fuels and feeds uh, censorship. But, you know, it, it's kind of competing there is kind of part of the, the things which I'm opposed to. But it's just interesting on, on points like about a serious debate about Oxford its or any university and its access policies, of which, of course, there is always a, an interesting discussion to be had. But I think what I'm trying to say is, is that it's the way that certainly those activists that I've engaged with and things that I've read that they've written have not really been interested in having a debate or a discussion. And, you know, fine if they are, right, because then you can have a debate and a discussion. There's been much more of a tendency to demand, and I don't mean demand by the way in the way that politics previously has done, by trying to convince people of your demands and win them over, but actually a demand or else... And if you don't agree, you are a person of white privilege who will be, uh, you know, treated with utter contempt. It was interesting on the Today programme this morning, John Simpson was in one of the South African universities. I was glad that the Today programme actually took this up and was talking about the rather horrible situation that's emerged in relation to, you know, post-apartheid South Africa, students demanding, you know, Black-only safe spaces, you know, you couldn't make it up as a scary thought and so on and so Mm. forth, a really kind of unpleasant uh, aspect there. But when he started to interview one of the white students on the campus, having interviewed a number of people, 
um, a number of the Roads Must Fall activists came up and said, how dare you ask them? They're stealing our voices. You shouldn't ask them. So effectively, if you are a white student and the white student who's being said, oh, that was so awkward, everything's just becoming racialized here. You can't have a conversation now uh, without that happening. And I think that although it's different in Oxford, these are the kind of trends that I think we have to draw attention to and which therefore I think that rather than feeling that there's a genuine debate it gets very muddied so just just to, one one just a little example on the blind applications for example i was bemused at least that in one of the uh, articles that i read that in the demands around the road scholarship and who should get it there are complaints that it's not going to enough african students mm. and it's being given out and there was particular concern about a new scheme to offer it to chinese students and I did think, oh, very generous on the old identity <laughs> front. I mean, I, you know, so, and then I thought, well, are they going to be blind applications or not? Do you know mm. what I mean? In fact, we're not being asked to be colour blind. And in fact, the phrase colour blind, of which the Roads Must Fall campaign has internationally now made a major point of saying, anyone who says that the colour of your skin doesn't matter or uses the expression colour blind is a white privileged supremacist. That's what they say. Which is why it's so useful that now we have an opportunity to press that point. So I think when, when it comes down to it, I mean, we often see this being raised, that actually there is a kickback against those of us who want to not look at people and just see their colour, not look at people and just see their gender. And in fact, we're being told over and over by the Safe Spaces movement, or you know, by identity politics in general, well, actually, we want you to see the colour. We want separate rooms for our colour. This is their demand, to go back to the old way of thinking, a regressive form of politics. Well, when we look at things, and one of their seven demands was that, it was blinded application forms, that is something that we should be able to look at and go, well, we accept that. That seems like a completely unproblematic thing for me to be able to accept. No, well, I mean, but isn't that part of the problem in terms of the rise of censoriousness on campus? Because everything always starts with, we're not really demanding this thing that we are demanding. We want to raise the issue of X. So, you know, we're going to ban blurred lines on campus because we want to start a debate about sexual harassment of women. There's all of these measures always end up saying, actually, this thing that we're arguing for is not actually what we want. Because, I mean, you started off by saying, actually, there should be a legitimate debate about the role of this statue. And actually we kind of sort of step back and it becomes not about the statue at all. Is that not quite a problematic way of politically campaigning? But all you can do is talk about the proposition that's in front of you. And where the proposition is we need to uh, ban blurred lines, you just think, well, that is a completely unacceptable and intolerable move for you to have done. Um, where it is we want to remove the statue, I mean, look, you know, these are free speech issues. So what is the first thing you do with a free speech issue is you say, who's being shut up? And what other freedoms are preserved by shutting them up? You know, I mean, if, if it's a radio station saying kick up the cockroaches during a genocide, then one man's being shut up. But it's quite clear what the freedoms are that are being preserved by stopping him from inciting violence. In this case, nobody is being shut up. So it, it's just not a free speech issue to, to address. Where someone then later says, well, as is, you know, very common in Goldsmiths, for instance, where they say, well, look, we're going to have these political meetings only for this race or only for people who identify in this way. Then you think, well, several people are being shut out of that meeting and that is politically intolerable. But all we can do is judge the proposition. I think we get ourselves into this well, it's the culture war, isn't it? If we want to be just another army in the culture war, then we're going to get into these encampments of, well, we know that you guys are the enemy and we're going to fight against. Instead, what I would suggest is we come down hard whenever anyone is no platformed or censored without people being able to demonstrate in a very convincing way that they would incite some form of violence or take away freedom from others by being on that panel. But where people are putting forward 
suggestions that actually do not challenge our values as people committed to free speech, we should be very, very open to those, not just for strategic reasons, but also for the basic political reason of the fact that they have not said something intolerable. But I think that what's really interesting about this is is that the discussion about whether there was a discussion on this, and from my point of view, I'm not only interested politically in free speech, although it's a very important value for me, but what I think is really interesting is, is that when you see something that you think is politically naive, stupid, backward, you're obliged to say so and argue. And when that happened in relation to Roads Must Fall, when people did that, it was not met with a debate. It was met, that was what I'm saying, by the closing down. That You know, the only way to go because that's what obviously happens if you have a, a moralised uh, kind of version of either history or politics, which and, and based on identity politics, as I've said, which is, is that you're either for us or against us. Now, the thing that you said, which you've stressed, um, is we don't have to treat these people as the enemy, and I would agree with that. I mean, I'm not particularly interested in treating them as the enemy. However, I have uh, not found any basis on which there is a broad discussion around history at Oxford, and where there is all to the good, which is why we're going to do it, the battle of ideas and all the rest of it. But it has been very much, you've got no right to say this. Who are you to say this? And what I'm saying is that's where it falls into the free speech thing. Who are you to say this on the basis of my ethnicity, on the basis that I'm you know, not oppressed enough and not haven't got the right privilege points is a real problem. On the, and, and so I do think it, I think it is part of the culture wars. But, I, but just on the thing about the opening up debate thing, and I think that Dave kind of raised this a little bit, I just get a bit nervous about this. You know, I, 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 you know, oh, good, we're all talking about this now because they've had this movement. Well, you know, I suppose we're all talking about the, the basis of Islam and uh, the basis of being based on Islamic State, right? I don't necessarily want to go around saying, oh, well, they've made me think about it again. I mean, that's interesting. I thought it was completely ridiculous when you've got Timothy Garton Ash, professor of European history, who I've got a lot of time for, who basically said, thank goodness for these students because they've really made me think about Britain's colonial past and I'd never really thought of it like that. And I've walked past the statue and never noticed it. And now I've learned a lot. I'd like to thank the students. That it was an act of supine disingenuousness. If the professor of European history has never considered <laughs> the horrors of colonialism in his life, he ought to have read a few books. You don't need to be taught that even. And I think that part of the argument, which I think is ironically conservative from these students, when they talk about decolonising the curriculum and demanding that there are certain books that are taught, this is a broader point that they're making, they actually say that black students are put off from going to go to study at university because there are not enough black teachers or black writers on the curriculum, which has the effect of imagining that people, and and, and then they go on to attack, by the way, in literature, Shakespeare and all of the canonical greats, as though somehow a black student cannot cope with or deal with or relate to the great universal works of literature, and it terrorises me that they're going down that road. I think it's patronising and and, uh, insulting to those students who, in fact, would be attracted to the best if they'd been taught well enough in schools and could cope adequately well there. Um, I also think, though, that the the sort of whole emphasis on... uh, turning this into a kind of a row about making the curriculum better also slightly misunderstands what's going on in education and I thought that the 
vice chancellor did make what's what's his name? I can't remember his name now. You started Chris off Patton. quoting Chris Patton, even Chris yeah. Patton made one really great uh, uh, quote in the, that speech. Not all of which I agreed with, but where he basically said that he was taught by a a, a revolutionary communist or a communist at, at, at university. Uh, he was completely anti-imperialist, but he was a great historian. And he said, I didn't agree with anything, but he really made me read and think and introduced me to the world of historical thinking. And, you know, he ended up as a conservative minister. And it reminded me that I was taught by some very reactionary people. But what they did insist on was that I read for myself and I read broadly. These students in the Roads Must Fall say that it imply, and this is happening in South Africa as well, that you can't read the books unless they're on the course reading list. And you think, go to a library and read a book. Read a book beyond the course reading list. You don't have to understand everything through a reading list. Read widely and broadly, rather than actually asking to be spoon-fed a set of political ideas through your curriculum, which is actually a negative way of viewing being taught at university in the first place. So I don't disagree with any of that, but why don't we just have the debate with them and raise the points? So, I mean, for instance, we have both sides, which are actually, at the, as, as you're sort of saying, I, I think, think you're being a bit overly harsh towards them. But let's even accept that, that this is all true. I would suggest that all of that resistance to debate and to talking is taking place on the authorities' side as well. By the fact that even if you don't believe the listening exercise was going to involve debates, the fact that it's shut down, as we all accept because of funding, means there is no more talking there. The fact Patton is saying, well, these people want to airbrush the past and they belong in China, means there's no talking going on there. And the sort of instinctive, quite dismissive way that I think lots of the establishment media has treated these students suggests there is no talking to them, they're just a bunch of shrill lunatics. On the students side, I agree. I mean, overwhelmingly, you've described the general attitude of the safe space movement very, very well, which is this sort of angry... Uh, sort of accusations of bullying whenever you ask someone a question and the constant efforts to close down debate and to privilege certain voices in really what ends up being a sort of circular firing squad sort of way. So that's there. What free speech advocates in that situation should be saying is, right, well, let's all just have a debate about it and we're going to talk about it. Do these books need to be on the curriculum? Is there something colonial about the way that we teach this stuff? Do we have some kind of racist problem in the way that we take people into university or is this actually a broader cultural problem? And that's what explains uh, the, the, the quite shocking statistics that we see. These are all debates that we need to have, but we need to show them that we will take these points on board. As we've behaved so far, what I fear we've done is just confirm all of their prejudices about the way that we are close to that form of debate and I think that there's a final element in that as well from a lot of the media and that is this kind of cultural distaste of protesting students this sort of kickback against sort of young idealists and if that's the path that free speech advocates go down we will deserve to lose the debate I I there's absolutely uh, I, I'll let you have the last word but but so so you can say something after this because I know we've got to finish but if I can just say that um I've got no cultural distaste for protesting students. I've got cultural distaste for the lack of protesting students and particularly for those who um, have uh, been sidetracked into protesting around the wrong things. So I'm not going to shut up about that. Um, Why I think this is a key free speech issue, and this is uh, uh, not to in any way say... Uh, to the students, you know, I mean, because there's no point saying to the students, you stupid students. I mean, you wouldn't, I wouldn't actually say that to people trying to 
bad things as it happens. I mean, I don't think that's particularly the point. But it's to actually, on the other hand, critique exactly the dangers of what they're doing. But why I think this is a major free speech issue is because of the censorious climate in which it occurs and them adopting the language of censoriousness in relation to their demands. That's the point. I, I, I've got no objection. Of course, many of the things they're arguing for are things which I have myself in the past argued in relation to and for and about and against and so on in different ways. But it's the climate in which that they are conducting this debate that or rather not this debate, but that they are making their protests a sense of entitlement. And as I've said, that informed entirely by an argument that says that they can't cope with the offence of having a statue, that it itself, and that's to go back to the statue, they said that, not me. They said that the statue causes violence to them and that we needed to do something about it, right? And if you didn't, you were indulging or endorsing racist violence. And I'm saying, no, no, no way am I accepting that. And um, I, I just have to get this in, which is, is that I do think that where you end up and where they end up and why we need to be fully engaged in an argument with them, and I hope that we will be able to have debates with them, is where the roads must fall uh, 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 exhibition um, in, in, in Cape Town uh, recently, a uh, photographic exhibition, was uh, uh, protested about and picketed by the trans community who daubed red paint all over the paintings and uh, did a naked protest uh, so that you couldn't get through because they said they weren't represented enough uh, in the Roads Must Fall thing. And actually, it was an interesting moment to, to for once, have the Roads Must Fall leadership slightly stuck for words because where do you go and of course we do know that they that identity politics eats each it eats itself but what a horrible situation the ANC in South Africa should be held accountable for absolutely not running that country in any sense of justice or or or, or and there's so many things to critique. The really hard politics in that country are in relation to that. And here we have students burning paintings and picketing each other and racialising politics. And in this country, I do genuinely think that there's a better way of fighting racism than trying to pull down a statue. So um, well, I very rarely agreed with so much that my opponent is saying. However, that's the crux of this thing is the broad idea of what do you do with philosophical disagreements? Do you just pull up, pull up your drawbridge and go, well, I'm sorry, we, we're philosophically on the other side so we're going to combat or are you more pragmatic about it on a day-to-day i used to have this problem on social media where every time someone brought up my gender or my race i would just throw my toys out of the pram in a way you could have i just i just started screeching and instead one day a friend sort of looked at that and went well as soon as you do that this is over the other way to do it is just take that put it to one side don't even refer to it and keep on pressing ahead with your premises and your your logic as you pursue it and i think when we say to these guys who are bringing up an idea of a statue which is not a free speech issue we're not going to talk about that because we're on this different philosophical side of the debate we're not living up to our values but also pragmatically we're not getting any closer towards bringing these guys on board and showing that our way works excellent well thank you both for a uh a thoughtful contribution obviously the Institute of Ideas is set up to try and provide a sort of public platform for sort of some of the serious discussions confronting society and actually say sometimes these are quite difficult to try and work out what side of the issue that you are on and we don't necessarily tell you what to think but hopefully enable you to have a, a more informed decision on that obviously we'll be returning to this topic at the Battle of Ideas in the 22nd and 23rd of October and also satellites around that also a reminder that we do a uh, uh, where 
running our second ever University in One Day, which is a day of discussions on the 23rd of June at the Wellington Festival of Education, aimed at giving 16 to 19-year-olds, particularly from the state sector, an, a taste of a kind of liberal arts education, which will feature 100 students. And of course, we run our, our own Debating Matters competition in 300 schools nationally. So regardless of your background, if you have a hunger for ideas and learning more about the entirety of a, a European and world history, both good and bad, then do check out instituteofideas.com for more information. Thank you.